Well, listen, we are in a sermon series going through the book of, of, of 1 Corinthians together. Um, it's actually a letter. And uh, Paul has, we, we're in actually week eight now and happen to be in chapter eight. And Paul has already addressed division and he's talked about what it means to be a spiritual leader. He's talked about what it means to be a good judge of others by first removing the tree out of your face. And then um, he's talked over the past three weeks about things like sexual immorality and singleness and marriage questions, all of those different things that we've talked about over the past three weeks. And so today in chapter eight, Paul is going to be answering yet another direct question from the Corinthian church to him, of which, just like last week, we don't really know what the question was because we don't have the original letter that was sent to Paul. Uh, all we have is to like read context clues to kind of get an understanding what exactly was the question that Paul is, is answering. And so what we can surmise is this. Paul was answering a question that had something to do with circling around the idea of eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. Meat sacrificed to idols, if you probably heard it that way. And so some of you, you're like, phew, he's not talking about sex anymore. <laughs> and some of you are like, huh, what does this have to do with me? Um, the title of my message today is a little different. It's, it's called How to Make Hard Decisions. How to Make Hard Decisions. And I called it this because even though most of you, I'm, I may be taking a leap of, you know, of faith here, but like most of you have never been faced with the decision of whether to eat demon meat or not. <laughs> I'm guessing that's never been something that you've had to deal with. But um, Paul's answer to these people in chapter 8 gives us an amazing framework to apply to your hard decisions that you have to make in a world that never seems to be black and white, in a world that um, never, like, it, we don't have, like, necessarily a, a Bible verse or a Bible chapter to give an answer to. So, I'd love for you to stand with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, open up your Bibles, open up your app, your version app, whatever that looks like, and we're going to take a glimpse at Paul's guide to making hard decisions. Um, that's gonna, we're going to read down through the whole thing because it's short. It's only 13 verses. And uh, I want you to just get the feel of what it is that Paul's communicating to these people. He says, Now, about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think that they know something do not know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then... About eating food sacrificed to idols. Yeah, get to the point. He says, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there is so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as, as even if there are, you know, as, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights 
does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, don't forget, is it destroyed by your knowledge? When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. That'd be horrible. So that I will not cause them to fall. Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask that even as we talk about this debate that seems to be so far removed from our current culture, I pray that we could take the principles that Paul uses to make a really hard decision and apply them to the decisions that we have to make in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So, I mean, you read through it. You probably, maybe you read through this before. You've heard the whole idea of meat sacrifice to idols and thought this doesn't really apply to me. I am assuming that this question of should I eat demon meat is a burning debate for every single person in here. I'm assuming that even, you know, how you have all those debates at uh, Thanksgiving and you just had Thanksgiving. Um, you're like, welcome to my Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I just simply asked, has this turkey been sacrificed to idols or does it just taste like it? And it did not go well. And, uh, and you've, you've probably dealt with this or deal with this on the ongoing basis, on the regular. Whenever you go to Panera, you're like, was this meat, is this, has this been sacrificed? No. None of us have dealt with this, right? Like today's, today we debate over very different things. Some things are kind of like, like off on the side, and some things are actually like really huge things that Christians debate and have debated, and some things have been solved, and we're like, yeah, this is where we're at right now, but other things we were still kind of questioning. And so we thought we've talked about things over the years of like, should a Christian drink alcohol? Can a Christian get tattoos? Um, what about homosexuality? Can women be pastors? What about COVID vaccinations? That's recent. Um, can you read Harry Potter? Uh, can I listen to the rock and roll music or the rap music, right? Um, can I go to the theater, right? That's, that, was a, that was a thing back in the day. Like, there's all of these things. Some of them are still we wrestle with, and some of those things you're like, man, that was a long time ago, but I remember when I had to go to the theater with, with a mask on because I didn't want people from church seeing me. Um, but that was a big deal. And I need you to understand that, like, although meat sacrifice to idols is, like, so weird and so out there and, like, what in the world is this even talking about? This was a huge deal for the followers of Jesus in Corinth. Like, this was splitting their church. This was a hot debate. They didn't know how to figure it out. They didn't know how to solve this. And they were weighing in to Pastor Paul to figure out, like, how do we, we deal with this? It's important to give you some background before we get started about like what does idol sacrifice look like in Corinth, ancient Greece. Um, back then, animals were treated kind of like currency, I guess you would say. Um, you, would, you would take your animal uh, to one of the 12 pagan temples in Corinth that we've talked about over the past eight weeks, and you'd give it to a priest to be sacrificed and people would do this for a multitude of different reasons. Sometimes it would be to, um, like, uh, ward off a curse 
for your, on yourself or your family, and so you'd bring a sacrifice to this deity. Or sometimes it would be to curry favor from this pagan deity to be able to, you know, get something, blessing that you were, you were looking for. The, the way it normally happened was this. You would bring the animal, and it was divided. And so a third of the animal would be burned and given as the sacrifice to that pagan god. The other third would be given to the priest, and he'd get his cut, he literally, and he would get to take it with him and do whatever he wanted to with the third of the animal. And then the other third, you got to keep. You got to eat. You got to take it home with you. You got to throw a party with it. You got to, whatever you wanted to do with the, your, your third, you got to do whatever you wanted to. Um, so you can imagine at the end of the day that the priest would have way too much demon meat to eat. Right? I mean, like, you're taking a third for every single sacrifice you're doing. You got a ton of meat. Now, there were two places that you could buy meat back in ancient Corinth. One, you could go to the regular market, the meat market, right? The open-air markets, and you could, you could buy meat there, but it was kind of like a little higher priced. And then you could buy it at the local temple. And, and there, the priests would sell their portions cheaper. So here is the debate. Here is the debate in a nutshell. Some of the Christians understood that idols could not contaminate meat. And so they would go to parties, and they wouldn't even ask where it came from. They didn't even care. They're just like eating meat willy-nilly, right? They're just like, this is awesome beef. They're not even asking where it came from. They don't even care where it came from. Some of them would even go to the temple to buy their meat there because it was cheaper. So they knew exactly where it came from. There was no like, well, you know, don't ask, don't tell. No, they literally, like, they went to the temple because it was cheap to buy meat there, and they would buy it there as Christians. And this completely offended some of the newer Christians, many of whom who had just been saved out of pagan idolatry. They simply could not understand why any of their fellow believers would have anything to do with eating meat that you, they used to sacrifice to their old pagan gods. Like, why in the world would you ever want to do that? That's the debate. And Paul leans into this minefield where he's got, like, this side and this side, and they are arguing, they're divided, they're offended over it. And he leans into this minefield, and as their leader, he has got to make a hard call. He has got to make a very hard decision. And it is not simply black and white. Probably like many of the decisions that you have to make, that you're faced with in this world, in our culture. And more important than the answer that he gives us, I, I think it's actually, <laughs> it's, it's gold that he brings us into the decision-making process with him. And that is priceless, church, because how he made his hard decision brings us really like a template into making hard decisions for our lives as well, a roadmap, as you would say. So the first thing he says is this. The first thing, if you're making a hard decision, is this, pursue knowledge. Pursue knowledge. There's three things. The first one is this, pursue knowledge. He says it in verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know, he says, he's like, we know 
that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is only no God but one. He's saying that like these man-made statues and these man-made temples are just that. They're man-made. It's not that big of a deal. Like we know that, 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 that it's not that big of a thing that there's no idols and deities that are, that are making all this stuff happen. But here, I think it's really important for you to really see this too is that like Paul is not saying that there's no other spirits, demonic powers, other little g gods. Like why else would the first commandment of our Ten Commandments be you shall have no other gods before us, before him, if there weren't any other spiritual powers or little g gods, right? This is the same guy, don't forget. Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He wrote these same words. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So make no mistake, Paul believes in the heavenly realm. He believes, and just after this, he talks about putting on the full armor and spiritual warfare. So he's not saying like, look, there's no such thing as, as other gods. There's no such thing as demonic powers. There's no such thing as, as evil spirits. Like, no, he full wholeheartedly believes in these things. He's just reminding them they pale in comparison to our God. They don't think that they're like in competition, like who's gonna win, right? He says this in verse six. He reminds them, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He's reminding them, hey, church, guys, look, I know you're, you're worried about this, but like, our God is the one true creator God. He is matchless. He is incomparable. He is above all. He is the father of all. He cannot be compared from whom all things come and all things are sustained. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is your peace. He is your banner. He is your provider. He is your healer. He is your shepherd. He is your teacher. He is your king. Do not get those things mixed up. Know who your God is. So he's like, y'all scared. You're going to hate this demon meat. And the demons are going to like get in you and all this kind of stuff. Don't forget who your God is. You scared of this little, what? Are you kidding me right now? Like, do you know who your daddy is? And he goes on. He's like, verse 7, but, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Like, you know this. You know who he is. But not every person possesses this knowledge. Some people still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. Since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. And then in the next verse, he pretty much just lays out, this is how I feel, guys. This is the truth. This is what, I've looked this up. I've studied this. I know this is what I think. Verse eight, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. He's like, hey, guys, look, this is a big, hot, heated debate, and I get it. There's people on all sides of this, right? But he's like, look, there's no such thing as demon meat. Like, come on. Like, we know this. 
And, 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 and as soon as he says this, you know it, because it, it's probably read, you know, in front of the whole church, and they're probably divided, you know, demon meat eaters on this side and the non-demon meat eaters on the other side. And you know, as soon as he reads verse 8, all the demon meat eaters, which is, so sorry, it's you, you're, they're all like, yeah, they're probably standing up, ripping off their shirts, they got a demon meat eaters all across the front, they're just like, yeah, and they're like so excited that finally somebody just speaks the truth. Right? You're standing up for something. Finally, Paul. I love that man. I love that guy. Right? And, and you're like, man, they, they, he won. They, they won. You guys win. That's awesome. You guys are right and they are wrong. All y'all. And, and that's an exciting thing. Like he's like, yeah, we, we got so. So the first point is this. Pursue knowledge. Like know God's word. Study it. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Possess as much knowledge as your little Noggin can contain. So pursue it. You should know God's word and why you know it and why you believe it. That's important. You should pursue knowledge. But the second thing, and this is where, <laughs> this is where it gets like, hairy. Um, the second thing to consider when you're making hard decisions is this. Be led by love. So pursue truth, but be led by love. Now, this debate between you and you, right down the middle, you and you. This was not only an issue in Corinth. This was like the church debate. Like all in, in, in that whole region. I mean, like everybody was asking this question. Everybody was dealing with this. This was a big deal. And you may recall, if you've been with us for a while now, we went through last year through the book of Acts together. And you may recall back in Acts chapter 15, there was a big council meeting and all the uppity ups were there. All the bigwigs were there. All the people that we read about and look up to, all the, you know, the church leaders were there. And they, they had a big meeting because all of the Gentiles were getting saved, except they weren't circumcised and they didn't follow all the Jewish dietary rules because they weren't Jewish. And all the, all the Jewish Christians were like, well, they, we, we, well, welcome to the church. We, ching, 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 we're, we're, we're circumcising today. And these grown men, Gentiles, are like, excuse me, that's painful and awkward, right? Like, and, and they're like, well, you know, also you can't eat this and you, you can't eat that. you got to follow this. And you know that, like, these Gentiles are coming in and they're, they're eating bacon-wrapped scallops, right? And all the Jews are half angry and half just plain jealous because you know bacon-wrapped scallops are amazing, Right? And they're just like eating them, like popping them in. And all the Jews are like, if they can't eat them, I don't, come on. Like they're, they're just upset. There's just all of this thing. And essentially they're just fighting about this. And so all the church leaders, they gather together and Paul's there and Barnabas is there and Peter's there and Silas is there and James, like all the big names. And they have to make a really hard decision, like a really hard decision. And they decide to write it in a letter. And they're like, all right, this letter is going to be circulated to all the churches around. And the letter is essentially written for one expressed purpose. And it is this. Church, this is how you deal with new Gentile converts. It was a big deal. And I'm going to read it for just the substantive portion. Acts chapter 15, two verses. It's verse 28 and 29. This is the portion of the letter that was circulated around to the churches. It says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. New, new converts, four things. 
You were to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, check. From blood, check. From the meat of strangled animals, double check. And from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. <laughs> that's, le that's legit. I mean, this is like a transcription of the actual letter. You can read it, Acts chapter 15. This is what the letter said. And they're like, farewell. That's like that's my favorite part of it, actually. They're just like, farewell, the end, right? That's all. Isn't it odd? I was studying it this week. I'm like, isn't it odd that Acts chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what we've been talking about over the past three weeks, the questions that they have for Paul pretty much line up with the things in that letter. Isn't that weird? Like, it's almost like they're like, hey, uh, so Paul, Pastor Paul, we, uh, we got your letter from uh, your big church council meeting and your one-sentence edict and the farewell at the end, right? Like, wondering if you could help give us some understanding as to why we have to abstain from these things that, like, apparently we're just supposed to take your word for it and just no explanation, just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this, good farewell. Like, apparently it was totally cool for the, for the Corinthians. They're like, okay, out of the four... Stay away from drinking blood, no problem. Got, got no, uh, no need to be drinking blood. That's cool. I can follow that. You know, it's like, got no problem with that. Okay, um, and then the, the second one that we have no problem with is eating foods that has been strangled. An animal that's been strangled. <laughs> that's gross. You know, like, when have you ever gone to the butcher and been like, was that cow strangled? And you, yeah, like, the butcher's like, yes, it took me hours. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> like, you're my hero. Um, so they're like, no problem. In fact, strangled meat does not taste good anyway. And so, but hold up. Um, sexual stuff, like sexual morality and food sacrifice to idols, hold up. Stay in your lane. They got problems with those two. Um, and they have specific questions that they ask Paul that he's been addressing over the past three weeks. Because Paul pretty much just said, and this is the maddening part portion of it, is that um, he's like, look, guys, it's really not that big of a deal to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's not. There's, I mean, be free. Be free from that. And then he says in verse 9, <clears throat> verse 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, Eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So that this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Huh. Like you just sit in that for a second, you just read that. Like, uh, I don't know about you, but like Paul completely surprises me with his answer. Because first, he's like, look, guys, look, there's no such thing as demon meat. It's not that big of a deal. Like, eating meat sacrificed to idols, it's not right or wrong. It's, it's neuter. It's fine. And then he says, but don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Excuse me? Apparently, to Paul, being right doesn't always give me the right to do what I want. And if I were a Corinthian 
reading this or hearing this read, I, I would be infuriated. Why? Because we live in a, such an individualistic world. We honestly think that like whatever we choose to think and to, and to do and to feel and to identify as, that everybody else has to bend to our will because I'm the center of my universe and I think that I should be the center of yours as well. And Paul's like, nope, nope, nope. Um, you bend your freedoms for the benefit of your friends. So Paul's answer is not just about who's right and who's wrong. Paul's actually talking about how to live together in community. And essentially, you can be right and also be in the wrong at the same time. And that is infuriating. And the kicker, if you're not offended yet, the kicker is this. If you boil it all down, he tells those who are right to give up their rightness because of others who are wrong. Can you, I mean, if you actually start drilling down on that, you're like, I don't know if I agree with that, Pastor. I don't like where you're heading here. I don't like it either. Because what it means is that, like, if you are mature in Christ and spiritually mature, then you are called to sometimes, sometimes lay down your rights and your freedoms for others who are wrong. <laughs> I don't know about you, I like being right. And if I'm right, I want to make sure that you know how wrong you are. I'm okay with that. You, you need to learn, right? Now, I'd love to teach you, right? But like Paul's just like, no, sometimes actually you lay down your rightness for the sake of your brother. What? He says it in, in, to the Romans in a different way in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says, be devoted to one another, honor one another as equal to yourself. Oh, sorry. He says, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourself. <laughs> so, huh? Like, I, I thought that, like, you know, just treat people were on the equal playing field. We're all on the same page. I treat everybody the same as I would treat myself. And Paul's like, no, I actually I want you to honor one another above yourself. You know what's more important than your freedoms? Your friends. Paul's saying, choose your friends over your freedoms. Unity is what matters most. And sounds great when I'm not the one having to lay down my freedom. Sounds great when I'm not the one who has to lay down my rightness to your wrongness. Because if, and this is, this is, where, this is where it comes down to it, and this is the rub. So I'm going to poke at you one last time, and then I'll, then I'll let off. If you are unwilling to temper your freedom for the benefit of your friends, you may think that you're walking in freedom, but you're actually enslaved to it. And you could chew on that all day. But that is kind of the heartbeat of what Paul is getting at. And his overarching reason, he actually says at the very first verse, it doesn't make sense when you first read it because you're like, what is he talking about? It makes sense in the entirety of reading all that he says in chapter 8, but 
first one, let me read it for you one more time. We'll go back to it. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. See, the truth is, is that some Christians grow and others just swell. And the hard part is that it's very easy for us to allow our knowledge to puff us up rather than leveraging our love to help build others up. See, knowledge can be used as a tool to fight with or to build with. It's really your choice as to what you choose to use it for. But if we're not careful, and this is, I think, what, kind of at the heart of what Paul's talking about, and I would just say this to, to bring it full circle into our current culture. If we're not careful, we will begin to think that the goal is to win arguments rather than win souls. Paul's like, it's about them. It's not about you. And I don't like hearing that either. See, spiritual maturity has always been measured by fruit, at least by God. And we fool ourselves into thinking that spiritual maturity is measured by gifts and by knowledge. Well, I know all this and I memorize all this and I get all this, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is how God always measures spiritual maturity. And fruit of the Spirit is essentially the balance of truth and love. Truth and love. So pursue truth, but be led by love. Because you need both in order to make hard decisions. Because truth without love is just mean. But love without truth is meaningless. You need both of those things together in order to make hard decisions. And then Paul brings in this third point. And he brings another, another like integer into this equation that many times we don't think about. And he calls it the conscience. And I don't know if you noticed it, but like as we were reading through verses 1 through 13, he mentions it actually a couple times in there, talking about like weak conscience and strong conscience. I'm going to read it for you in verse 12. He mentions it there. He says, When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And I'll be honest, like I, I'm not that smart. So I'm like, I, I, I don't know what conscience actually means. You're like, oh, you're silly, Justin. Like, everybody knows this. Do we, though? I mean, like, I don't know. I was like, I, I think we make up this word that we call conscience, like global conscience, and all these just, well, I'm conscious. No, not conscious, but conscience. Like, what does that mean? Like, what, what is the definition of that? Because we usually hear it associated with modifier words, like an evil conscience or a good conscience or a weak conscience or a strong conscience, or they got a guilty conscience. Or, you know, like we, we kind of we throw that out there. But what, what does that mean? And I think it's important for us to understand this because I believe it is the foundation of what Paul is talking about, about making hard decisions. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, all throughout chapter 8, talking about weak conscience and strong conscience and weak conscience and strong conscience and at the end of the day, he is encouraging us to strengthen our conscience. So I looked it up. I looked it up in the, in the Greek. I was like, okay, what, what is this, this word conscience? What does it actually mean? 
blew me away. I was so surprised. I've never seen this before. And um, essentially from the root of it, what, what, it could be, what it can also mean is this. It can be said as this, co-perception or shared perception. Conscience is shared perception. So strengthening your conscience is the uniting of my perception with God's perception into a shared perception. And so a person with a strong conscience doesn't just know things about God, doesn't just memorize scripture, doesn't just go to church, doesn't just do the thing. Like they begin to know the heart of God, the will of God, the ways of God, the father heart of God, the compassion that God has for his people. Like you begin to know not just of him, you begin to know him. And a strong conscience is when you submit your wills and your way and your opinion and your perspective to the Lord and say, God, I am willing for you to change my mind. The Bible calls it the mind of Christ. He says that old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new, that we are transformed by him through the renewing of our minds. Shared perspective, co-perspective. That your conscience is actually how you navigate hard decisions. And my fear is that I watch, especially in our world today, I watch way too many people, even Christians, trying to make God fit their perspective or to make their perspective their God. This is the only thing that matters because this is my opinion. This is what I think. This is how I feel. This is what I This is what is true. And we fail to ever strengthen our conscience to say, God, I actually want to know your ways, your will in really hard decisions. And that the difficulty of our days. And if you think about it, like, how did Jesus operate in his earthly ministry? Well, how do you think he made hard decisions? He actually says an answer here in John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. It says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What we're talking about with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is that they have co-perspective. That his conscience was one with the Father. That's how he knew how how to pray, who to pray for, where to go, when to stay back, what to say. Even when people were trying to like get him and trap him into an argument, like he had words to be able to speak in that moment that that were just wisdom, wisdom from above, right? Like, Like nobody would have ever thought of that. Literally just following the leading of his father as they shared co-perspective. And you think about like um, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, like how how much different was it for him? He was continually led by the Holy Spirit, whether he was to go here or not go here, where they were to go go next, or like give me the words to speak when I'm on trial. He continually was led by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that even what we're reading here in chapter 8, Paul's answer to this really hard question was him being led by the Holy Spirit to make a really hard decision. 
They were simply like trying to, to lead with the knowledge that they knew and love with the love that is not their own and be led by the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, that, that letter that I read to you in, in chapter 15 that they dispersed, to, circulated to all the churches, I want to read that first verse one more time to you because I think it is genius and it is a key to making hard decisions. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 15, it says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Pause right there. That is amazing. That is power packed with answers. That means that they got together People who know God and know the heart of God and have strengthened their conscience in the Lord. And they gather together and they said, what do you guys think? What are you feeling? How are you? What are you seeing? Let's hear testimonies from you and testimonies from you. People that I trust and that I know and that can speak into our lives. And then let's gather together and pray. And let's find the heart of God in this thing. Let's find the conscience of Jesus and allow him to shape our, our thinking. Because actually, I'm on the side where I think that these Gentiles should get circumcised and they should stop eating bacon wrapped scallops, but I'm willing to allow God to change my mind because I love them and I'm so excited about the fact that they're coming to church that I would never want to stand in the way of that. So Lord, change me if you want to, if you need to. I'm willing to allow your perspective to overlap, even eclipse mine. And this is, this is the wisdom of our ancestors who were led by the Holy Spirit and wrote the Bible that we, that we hold in high esteem. But just know that they were just applying knowledge, love, and strengthening their conscience in the Lord and following the Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> so the question that I want to just end with is this. What does that look like for you? You're like, I mean, good thing I don't have to deal with meat sacrificed idols like much. Hasn't come up yet. I think I'm good. Next, next chapter, Pastor Justin. Let's move on. Let's keep going, right? Um, what does that, how do you strengthen your conscience? What does that even mean? How do you strengthen your conscience? Have you ever been somewhere and uh, you, all of a sudden you just feel like something is spiritually off? Like off, off. I was down in downtown Biddeford um, just a couple months ago, and I was I was shopping down there, and I was, went by a store, and I had this like, huh, whoa, what was that? I had no idea what the store was or anything like that, and I'm like, this is weird. So I I came back around, and I just kind of looked around the outside, and I was like, I don't, it's just like little trinkets and things like that. And I I walked in the store, and it was like, whoa. And please don't think, like, I'm not that guy. I'm not like, oh, just trust me. You know, I have discernment because I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm not, I'm just saying, like, I'm just a, I'm this normal guy. I'm walking in there. I'm like, what in the world? That is so weird. And so I start looking around. I'm like, oh, they got these crystals. They got all these things. I'm like, oh, okay, right, 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 right. Okay, now I see what's going on here. So, like, like, literally, I'm like, I just start praying for them. I just walking around the store. I'm just praying for salvation. I'm just praying that, that, that revival would be birthed out of this store. I'm just like, hallelujah, that we get, I, I am so excited about this place. I'm walking in there. I'm like, because here's the thing. That's God strengthening your conscience. And if you think you're supposed to walk in there and be like, <sighs> like if you think you're just supposed to be like, 
don't go in that store. It's evil. Like if, you, if you're supposed to think that like that's our role, like then you're not operating out of knowledge, love, and, and a strong conscience. Like God gives us knowledge of discernment so that we can do something about it, so that we can pray, so that we can speak, so that we can be a light in darkness. Amen? Allow God to strengthen your conscience. Listen to it. Pay attention to it. And maybe for, for some of you, um, you've, you've been in conversations before, and all of a sudden, you feel like there's a word that God just spoke directly to you. Like maybe you've been in a friend like over a Panera and you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden it's just whew. Or maybe even here on a Sunday, I'm, I'm talking and for 40 minutes you're like and then all of a sudden I say something and it just goes It like bypasses your brain and goes right into your spirit. And you're like, that was a word of God for me right now. That's a now word. That's God strengthening your conscience. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Have you ever gone to this place where you're just like, I don't know, we put something out there, an opportunity or something, and you just know that you know that you know that you know that you know in your knower that you're supposed to do it? Or you know that you're supposed to send that text or say something or make that phone call or go someplace? Or, uh, you just know that you know that you know that this is something that you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to go love on somebody, and, but they're in Hannaford and they don't even know you. How are you supposed to do this, Right? That's God strengthening your conscience. But don't just pay attention to it. Do it. Send the text. Give the hug. Reach out. Like, do it, because that's how you strengthen it. You don't strengthen your conscience just by being like, dude, you feel that? It's got the Holy Spirit goosebumps. Hallelujah. And then you just think, like, oh, that's all it was. Like, God's just like, I just want to give you goosebumps today. Little goosebumps over there. Little goosebumps over here. Like, like, that's his role? Like, that's what he wants us to do? Just like, oh, my gosh, just feel goosebumps. No. He's like, I want you to do something with it. I'm actually calling you with my compassion and my heart for God's people to be a light in darkness. I want you to be a vocal, a mouthpiece, to speak my name in darkness. I'm actually calling you to love people that just feel so alone. Pay attention to it, but do it. Follow it. God is strengthening your conscience. This is what Jesus did. I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it. This is what Paul did. All these guys that, you know, any Christian that's ever done anything for God did that. So, when you co-perceive the mind of Christ, you stop asking what's right and what's wrong, and you start asking, what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do here? You stop needing to be right so that other people can be wrong. <laughs> you, you, you stop asking, like, oh, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? Because sin no longer has a grip on you when you have a strong conscience. Because you know that you don't even want to get close to it. So here's what I would say to you. As you begin to allow God to strengthen your conscience, to give you the mind of Christ, to transform you by the renewing of your mind, this is what you should expect. You should expect God to prick your heart about things that may not even be sin. I mean, you're like, well, but that's not right or wrong. I could do that. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I see people doing that. They're still fine with it. God's like, yeah, but it's not okay for you. Well, who are you? I'm God. I created you, gave you the breath that you're breathing right now. Kind of know you're bad. I knit you in your mother's womb. I know you better than you know yourself. I'm telling you, you should stay away from this. Jeez. But the hard news is it's God. You should expect God to give you a heart for people that just surpasses your heart for people. 
you should expect him to break your heart for the things that break his heart. So how do you make hard decisions? Well, sometimes, if we're really honest, they're not complicated, they're just hard. There are some things in our life that actually do have a chapter and verse for it. You don't actually need to pray about it. You just need to respond in obedience to it. So don't make something that is explicit in, in the Bible, in truth, and be like, oh, I'm just going to have me do it, right? Like, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Like, you should stay away from it. If it's sin, it's sin. God says it's sin. You should just be like, stay away from that. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to be like, I don't know. Just, everything seems so great. No, no, really. Like, you just not, you should stay away from that. And then there are other things that are difficult. There are other things that are just great. There are other things that like, man, it usually involves with your marriage and your friends and your family members and your workplace where you're just like, I just don't know what to do. This world is so like, oh, crazy, upside down and topsy-turvy. And I, don't, I, I honestly don't know what to do. And for those hard decisions, I think you should pursue knowledge, be led by love, and strengthen your conscience. So I want to pray over you today. We're going to sing, but I just want, if, if you're in a place where you're like, you know what, there's something that's been rolling around in me, and, I, and I, I'm unsure, I've got a hard decision, I've got something that's in front of me, I need the mind of Christ for this, I just, want to, I just want to pray this over you, but really it's not even a prayer, it's just a declaration of your identity in Christ. So if that's where you're at, you just want to receive the mind of Christ today, a fresh and filling of His Holy Spirit, I just want to encourage you. Just, you don't have to say anything. Just maybe put your hands out to the side and say, I'm, I'm open to receiving you, a, a fresh and filling of your spirit today, Lord. Let me speak some identity over you right now. Christian, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have the mind of Christ. You've been given different gifts from the spirit. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He also said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so, Lord, I pray over each and every single person that is in a place of just receiving you today that in all of our doing, in all of our Christianing, in all, all of our churching, that we would realize that the greatest thing we could be about is remaining in you, that we would abide in you. And all of our pursuing, and all of our reading, and all of our Bible study, and all of our attempts to love people, that we would abide in you. I pray that you would strengthen our conscience today. Let's worship him as we sing.